0: do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here today and that we can meet in peace, in safety and in warmth. We pray, Father, today that you would not simply warm our bodies, but you would warm our hearts so that we could be constant in prayer for you. As we hear from your word today, please strengthen us, encourage us and challenge us as we need to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um. Uh, I confess whenever I get asked to do a topical sermon whether it's by Graham or somebody else my heart usually sinks because I go where am I going to go from here the usual conversation goes "Oh, what am I going to say to those who are struggling in prayer what am I going to say to those who are not what passages do I pick what about the Lord's prayer everyone does the Lord's prayer what do I do and as I thought about it I thought perhaps what might be... One of the prayers that struck out at me was actually this prayer by Nehemiah. A couple of reasons. Firstly, I'm amazed at what he says What he says in Confessing Sins, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But the other reason is it's a prayer delivered in crisis. There's a great big crisis that Nehemiah's responding to. He's living about 446 BC, 140 years earlier, Nebuchadnezzar had come into Israel, defeated it comprehensively and had exiled the entire population, basically forcibly removed them from their homeland and uh, made them walk or ride about 2,100 kilometres over to the capital city, um, Babylon. And then over time, uh, oh, and the only Israelites left behind were the very poor and the very weak. Everybody else who was considered of any value was taken. And over the last 140 years, the Persians had replaced the Babylonians. The capital had moved a little bit further south to a place called Susa, which is where Nehemiah is. Um, and that town still exists today in Iran. It's called Shush it uh, must be a quiet town and you, um, he's sitting there and already some people have been allowed back to Jerusalem to try and rebuild it and that first attempt has failed and it's failed pretty badly you hear about it in that Nehemiah reading he says there those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire So the town, the city isn't rebuilt, it's open, anyone living in there is in danger, and the capital still isn't restored. And Nehemiah's prayer is in response to that crisis. And then because I needed a New Testament reading, I thought of that prayer in Acts for the same reason. It's a response to a crisis uh, Peter and John had gone to the temple. and you, It's a famous story. They had seen a lame, ba- lame man. He had asked them for money and they gave him the ability to walk instead in the name of Jesus. And when everyone said, how did this happen? They said, it's in the name of Jesus. The one that was crucified and has now been risen the, from the dead. And for their pains, they were arrested, imprisoned overnight, uh, questioned by the Sanhedrin, which was the main religious leadership of the day, and... They were warned, don't speak about Jesus. And Peter's response was famous. He said, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And despite such a defiant response, Peter and John were released. They were warned further, "Don't yeah, basically threatened, don't talk about Jesus, don't talk about him rising from the dead. And their prayer, when they get back with the other believers, is in response to that crisis of being threatened not to talk about Jesus. And I figure if this is what people pray in times of crisis, then that's a model for us. Because while there are things happening in our lives, we are not as a town living in crisis. It's pretty peaceful here. There are family problems, there are family issues, and there are people in great distress, but people generally are in a good spot. And if this is what people will pray when they are distressed, when they are um, really struggling, then I think that's a good model for us when perhaps we are not struggling um, or or in distress. And as I looked at those prayers, I thought there's some things here that are just worth us worth highlighting and just worth us thinking about as we consider prayer as we look at them can I just say one thing it doesn't have to be complicated the Lord's prayer which is what Jesus taught us to pray isn't complicated but the Lord's prayer does I think follow um, a lot of the things that are said in these other prayers here as well and in the end I guess it just encourages us to be thoughtful and some things to think about So what what can these prayers show us? I'm intrigued. In both cases, they start with God. They don't start with the shopping list. It's not, dear God, please help us, um, or dear God, uh, I'm really in trouble. Now, that's not a bad prayer to pray, but I'm really intrigued they don't go that way. They start with God. They start saying, God, you are this. Thank you for this. Um, Not only that, it's surprisingly thoughtful each one of them start reflecting on a characteristic of God that they will rely on when they finally get to asking God for something. So in the prayer in Nehemiah, uh, it looks very flowery, but actually it's, it's reflecting on something that, that Nehemiah needs because he starts off by saying, a God, O Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Later on, when Nehemiah starts to ask for something, he is specifically relying on God as someone who keeps his promises. A covenant's just a, a formal promise. I wonder how often when we start our prayers, we think about what characteristic of God we are actually relying on uh, as, we make our, as we make our prayers. Acts does the same thing. If you look in Acts, it starts off, the prayer starts off with, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And for the next two verses, he talks about just how sovereign, how ruling, how powerful God is. By the time they get to asking for God for something, they are relying on God exercising his sovereignty. How often do we, before we launch into our, our shopping list of things that we need, think about who God is and what part of his character we might actually be relying on here so that we can actually acknowledge that character before we, we go further? How often do we actually start and just by praising God for just how awesome he is? For a human, it sounds like a bit sucking up, but for the one who actually made us it's it's just recognizing where he is it's recognizing where he is compared to where we are <coughs> we'll do that instinctively with other great leaders maybe we should do it with the leader of leaders what amazes me is that this is done in crisis these guys are doing it when they're stressed I don't know about you when you're stressed. When I'm stressed, certain things go out the window. Just ask Vicki. She can tell you in detail. Politeness, reasonableness, um, sometimes kindness. Um, when I'm stressed, it, it really does reduce to this is what I need now. Uh, Nehemiah was stressed. The disciples, they were stressed. Their very existence had been threatened. But they start off with... God's position and his character. What does that say about us when we don't necessarily do that? The second thing that that both of these prayers will do, actually Nehemiah just does this one, is he starts off and he confesses his sin. Before he asks for help, he deals with the key thing that's in the way from him receiving help from God, his sin and his people's sin. I'm impressed with the way he deals with his own sin. There's no attempt to deflect or deny or diminish. One of the great things I have as I work with kids, I work in a school uh, with primary kids, is um, they show us how we really are. They haven't learned how to filter themselves yet. Um, So, um, you know, when you ask a kid, why did you do that when they really shouldn't have? Because I want to. Why did you hit him? Because he upset me. Um, Why didn't you do that? I didn't want to. Thank you. Well, we all have those moments. And really, that's the same for us as adults too. We just learn not to say that. Um, But Nehemiah doesn't turn around and say, that wasn't me. that That was him. Nehemiah doesn't say, but I was just. That's a classic line from kids. I was just. And that word just is meant to say it really isn't that bad. It's this big. He doesn't do any of that. He's honest about it. And he says, I have acted wickedly. My family has acted wickedly. We have not followed God's law. That's impressive. I think particularly in this day and age. But what is amazing is that he confesses Israel's sins. When he admitted that the Israelites have... ...acted very wickedly towards God and have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws that God gave to Moses. He was referring to the offence that led up to the exile of the Israelites from their homeland. Those events occurred over centuries. And indeed the exile had occurred 140 years earlier. How can Nehemiah be in any way responsible for what happened there? He wasn't even born... His parents probably weren't even born. How was he in any way responsible for what happened? Well, he personally isn't. He wasn't there. But he is part of the people of Israel. He remains affected by their sin. He's living in exile in Susa, 2200 kilometres from his homeland, because of the sins of his people. And before he could seek to act for the advancement of his people, he needed to admit that their previous actions were wrong. He needed, instead of condoning it or ignoring it, he needed to confess it and reject it. I think that's something we struggle with. When I first thought about applying for Trinity, it was because uh, a man of mine by the name of James Lecky called me up and he'd worked at the school and he said, how's your job hunting going? He knew I was on the lookout. And so I, I gave him the story and he said, well, we've got this job going. Um, I was going to talk to your colleague who was also looking for a job. Oh, well, I happen to be a primary school teacher as well as ordained. Can I apply? Absolutely. And then I, as we got talking, we talked about a famous unsavoury incident that had occurred at Trinity that was known, it had hit the papers, I think someone even wrote a play about it. It was pretty nasty. Um, And I said, you know, what about that? And he said, well, I can't defend that. I, I, I can't defend the indefensible, and I liked that. Here was someone who had worked at the school for 20 years who may or may not have known... Uh, the people involved, who were certainly aware of how it had affected the school's reputation, he said, I can't defend that. He was part of the school, he could see how it affected him, and he didn't say, that wasn't me. He didn't say, um, oh, we don't talk about that. It wasn't a don't talk about the war kind of situation. He just said, I can't defend that. And that answered the question. Not only that, he pointed out that no staff member tried to defend that. When we're part of a group, we're affected by the previous decisions of the group. Even if we weren't there, we weren't part of the decision, we're affected by it. And sometimes we as a group have to take responsibility for what happened to a decision that we didn't make. My uncle is part of an Anglican church that is not part of the Sydney Diocese. Um, It is one of the dioceses that really um, was front and centre at the Royal Commission uh, into institutions that had abused children. And uh, his church has been asked if they would consider being sold. It's a tiny church. It's in the middle of a valley that's a long way from anything. Um, there's, There's various valleys in between and basically in order to get anywhere you've got to go out and either turn left or right and just go the long way. Um, So, the diocese doesn't see the value of the church because it's this tiny church with a small number of people in the middle of nowhere. But the response from the people is, we weren't responsible for this. We, there's no one on record that was abused in our town. Why should we need to sell our church and contribute money to the redress of people who have been hurt? And the reality is that while I think they will find ways around it so that the church doesn't need to be sold as such, they will pay money. And the reason they will pay money is because they are part of a diocese where sin occurred. And finally something's being done to um, provide redress for the people who have been so badly hurt. My uncle wasn't part of that. All of that occurred a long time before he moved into the area. The people who have lived there since the year dot weren't a part of that. There's no one on record as having been abused in their town or in that church. But they are part of the Anglican church in that diocese and they will contribute. And I think this prayer challenges us that we are part of various groups and we share not just the successes but also the failures of that group. One of my colleagues is a huge fan of the Eels. Um, at the moment, she's being really honest about it. We're not doing very well at the moment, she says. I'm curious by her language. We're not doing very well. She doesn't play. She's never going to play. It's just never going to happen. But she's um, she's part of the Parramatta Eels, and she shares in their successes. Believe me, she shares in their successes. and she's shares in their failures. I wonder if it also challenges us on a slight tangent at the moment if with the groups we are a part of what we condone and what we don't speak up against is something we bear responsibility for as a result. Because by not speaking up against it we we allow the behaviour that is wrong to occur And people do get hurt. And there is a call for redress later on. The other thing, another thing that's really interesting uh, with these prayers is they rely on God's character. So we talked about the fact that they acknowledged God's character at the beginning of the prayer. And now they're relying on it here. Nehemiah is relying on God's faithfulness to his promises. Um, The disciples in Acts are relying on God's sovereignty as they ask for what's, what's next. It's really worth our while thinking about God's character and thinking about why he might be or might not be willing to give us uh, what we ask for and what we, what we desire. And that really affects the things that we ask for. These guys only ask for what is appropriate. I'm intrigued by um, what what is not asked for with both of these prayers. In Acts, Peter and John have just been threatened. I would think that they would ask for the threats to be removed and for those who are making these threats to be destroyed or be removed from the situation in some way. But the believers don't ask for that. They ask for the Lord to consider or take note of the threats and then ask for the ability to speak. Boldly and act boldly so that the good news about Jesus can spread. They've reflected on God's character, they've reflected on what is the greatest need for them to ask for, and it wasn't that the Sanhedrin be destroyed, though it was the Sanhedrin making threats. It was that the good news about Jesus may th- spread. So, since we've got this, this threat here, the thing they really need for God is you are sovereign. Please look after us. Please enable us to speak boldly. Because this news about Jesus needs to spread. And it needs to spread everywhere. You've got the same thing with Nehemiah. I think it would be lovely for Nehemiah and the rest of the the people of Israel for, um, for them to throw off the chains of their overlord, the Persians, rebuild Jerusalem and have prosperous independence again. That would be awesome. But Nehemiah doesn't ask for that. He simply asks for boldness and success it's because he's about to put himself at risk as he goes and asks for a favour for a king who is well known to be capricious. Uh, this king, Ar- Artaxerxes, that, that you'll he- you hear about if you read uh, Nehemiah 2, um, he was famous, he, he did a campaign where he had trouble crossing a river the bridge that he built over it collapsed. So he arranged for someone to um, uh, turn up with a whip and whip the river. Um, He was that kind of mad, foolish, weird king. Because the the river had clearly done the wrong thing in not allowing him to have a bridge over it. Um, So this this wasn't a, a sensible king, right? But rather than asking for the king's removal, rather than asking for the king to be suppressed, he asked for boldness and success as he put himself at risk. When we ask for stuff, do we think about what's needed, what's appropriate, or do we just launch into our shopping list? When we ask for stuff, do we consider what God's plan might be in this situation as we read God's word, another one of those constants, and consider God's character? Or do we just go, I'm stressed and I need this? Both of these prayers seem to ask for things in light of their understanding of God's overall plan and in line with his character. What do we ask for? Do we consider our needs in the light of God's overall plan? I was incredibly impressed by a prayer by the senior minister down at Fairy Meadow, Anglican. If you have to go church shopping down in Wollongong, you've got to put Fairy Meadow on your list and you've got to put Roger Fitzharding on your list because that chair there's great leadership down there at the moment. This is what Roger and his church prayed for last week as they were praying about the rescue of the guys in Thailand, in the cave. He said, At night church today, we prayed for the Thai guys to be rescued, but also that those trapped in other places and cycles, in slavery, prostitution, abusive relationships, might be ransomed, freed, restored, and renewed by people raised up by God hashtag big picture. And for those of you who know Roger, he likes his hashtags. Do we pray about that big picture? Or do we just pray about the things that are in the news? Do we keep abreast of the things that are not in the news so that we can pray about those as well? What's not in the news at the moment, for example, is that particularly in northern Nigeria, Christians are being targeted They're being targeted by a number of different groups because they're Christian. And about 1,800 Christians have been killed in the last couple of years because they're Christian. That's not making the news over here. Are we aware of the continuing issues of rain in Southern Africa? Do we pray about that? Do we even pray about the big picture for what is needed here in Robertson? We've got about 1,800 people in town, about double that in the surrounding area. Um, Far as I can work out, about 5% have come to Christ. Far as I can work out. Bear in mind, I'm I'm not full-time here. Do we think and pray about that big picture as we pray? Because these guys did, even in crisis, they prayed about the big picture. Finally, Nehemiah. Finally, they were persistent. Nehemiah prayed night and day. We don't hear about the disciples in Acts praying night and day, but we know the parable of the persistent widow, um, where the widow keeps asking for justice from an unjust judge until finally he's so frustrated, he says, Right, I'll give you your justice. And that parable was told by Jesus so that we would be persistent in our prayers. I can't tell you enough the value of that persistency. My, my sister prayed for me for nine months before I became a Christian. She was pretty constant about it. I didn't know about it at the time. Wisely, she kept her mouth shut about that um, because I don't think I would have responded well at the time. But that was nine months of pretty constant praying. So what are we left with? we're left with the encouragement to acknowledge God and his character, to confess our sin and and deal with that barrier before God, to consider God's character as we pray so that we can ask for what is appropriate for and consider in the light of that big picture and we're encouraged to be persistent. And on that note, let me pray. Heavenly Father, you have been incredibly gracious to us here at Robertson over generations. We have had uh, minister after minister who has faithfully declared your word. We have had family after family after family who has faithfully served us, whether it's in kids' talks or whether it's doing morning tea, whether it's doing gardening or whether it's teaching Sunday school. You have been gracious in giving us a building that is comfortable to sit in and worship. You have been gracious in allowing us to minister to this town and the surrounding area. Please continue to be gracious to us. Please continue to bring those people who do not know you to come to a saving relationship with you so that they do not have to worry about the day that Jesus returns. Please be gracious to us to continue to give us faithful teaching here. Please be gracious to us as we pray with simple words and faltering steps, knowing that for many of us it's a challenge. Please be gracious to us as we seek to pray and live according to your way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.